Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. I am not Pastor Brandon. I know you're shocked. Uh, so he's preaching for Sam this morning. Uh, so if you were here for main service, then you were you saw that. And so he asked me to preach this morning. You should have gotten a handout. So if you didn't, then maybe raise your hand and somebody can bring you one. But, you know, I was, Brandon and I, we had a spirited debate this morning because he is diametrically opposed to handouts. And I love handouts. Um, and I submit it because I do have a PowerPoint, right? I do have a PowerPoint up there because he loves PowerPoints, okay? And I started to go all out. Like, I was like, I was online looking for like different templates, but then the ones that were really nice, you got to pay for. <laughs> so it was one that was like $16. I was like, I ain't paying no $16 for no PowerPoint. <laughs> I can make my own. Um, so with that, you know, it's pretty basic. So for all of you Art Institute graduates, please forgive me. I know you're ashamed of me. I actually graduated from the Art Institute. But see, I was in the painting department. I didn't, I didn't mess with graphic design. I didn't do that. So that's that. All right, so our topic this morning, the, the, the title of the message is Enemy Infiltration, the not-so-obvious ways your flesh seeks to destroy you. Now, probably should give you some context you know, I was thinking on where we are as a ministry, and, you know, Pastor Brandon is taking us through the book of Acts, and one of the focuses that we have is on evangelism, right, and the need to evangelize, and, and praise the Lord, this room, look at how many people that are here, um, that's the fruit of what God is doing, and it's amazing. We're winning people to the Lord, and God is moving, and so we can see the fruit of that. And some of many of you actually are getting involved in discipleship. Some of you are discipling. Some of you are being discipled. But God is moving. Now, what I, the topic that I want to take up is what happens when you begin to succeed in those things. What happens when you do find success in ministry? Because success in ministry brings with it opposition. And sometimes we forget that, don't we? Things start rolling and that even with God's blessing, you can be where God wants you to be and you can be under his blessing. But even with that, you can encounter difficulty and challenge. You can have God's blessing and still go through a tough time. And perhaps some of you know this. It's been said that we are most vulnerable to defeat when we've experienced our greatest victories. And so I think this message from that regard is timely because it's going to deal with how our flesh can sneak up on us and how it can oppose us. Now, many of you know I've been working on a study. The study's called Fully Equipped. Okay, so this is, it's not a commercial. I'm not going to tell you to pick up your copy for $19.99, okay? We've got it discounted. It's $9.99. It's a great deal, guys. No, I'm just kidding. But um, no, we're not charging for it. But we're going to be doing it's the study's done. And the goal of the study is to teach young men of God, uh, single men, how to maximize their singleness for God's glory. So it's not like a, the goal isn't to force you to stay single. OK, no, that's not what it is. It's like, hey, what is biblical singleness and biblical manhood as a single person? What does that look like? 
And the reason I give you that is because if you find today's message to be encouraging and you are a young single man, stay tuned because here you're going to be hearing the announcement here in the upcoming weeks of when we start that study. And I want you to sign up, OK, um, because this this is sort of an, an excerpt from some of that content. So. Let's begin with the military definition of what enemy infiltration is. We will have it for you on the screen. It's not in your, it's not in your handout, so you can either write it down or Google it. So it's, it's fine if you don't want to write it down. But let's just define what enemy infiltration is, because I think that the definition is going to help us. It is a method of attack in which small bodies of soldiers or individual soldiers penetrate the enemy's line at weak or unguarded points in order to assemble behind the enemy position and attack from the rear. So, they attack at weak or unguarded points so that they can come in and attack from the rear. rear. So, in other words, it's not a direct assault. It's not a direct assault. And that's why God's people must be wise, because not all attacks from the enemy are direct. Not all attacks from the enemy are direct. So our passage this morning, we're going to be in 2 Samuel. Now, let me give you a little background. The final chapters of 1 Samuel detail how Saul has been trying to kill David and how David has been on the run for his life for many years, right? It's been thug life for David. Like, it's been really bad for David. I mean, it's just like he was just this close to being killed on several occasions. But we find out that God's with David. Uh, and in, in the final chapters of 1 Samuel, we see Saul kills himself, right? Okay. And so then we pick it up in 2 Samuel chapter 1. And I just want to read the story to you. And then we're going to kind of give it some context and go from there. 2 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 1. Now it came to pass after the death of Saul when David was returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites and David had abode two days in Ziklag. It came even to pass on the third day that, behold, a man came out of the camp from Saul with his clothes rent and earth upon his head. And so it was when he came to David that he fell to the earth and did obeisance. And David said unto him, From whence comest thou? And he said unto him, Out of the camp of Israel am I escaped. And David said unto him, How went the matter? I pray thee, tell me. And he answered that the people are fled from the battle, and many of the people are also fallen and dead, and Saul and Jonathan his son are dead also. And David said unto the young man that told him, How knowest thou that Saul and Jonathan his son be dead? And the young man that told him said, As I happened by chance upon Mount Gilboa, behold, Saul leaned upon his spear, and lo, the chariots and the horsemen followed hard after him. And when he looked behind him, he saw me and called unto me, and I answered him, Here am I. And he said unto me, Who art thou? And I answered him, I am an Amalekite. And he said unto me again, Stand, I pray thee, upon me, and slay me, for anguish is come upon me, because my life is yet whole in me. Verse 10, So I stood upon him and slew him, because I was sure that he could not live after that he was fallen. And I took the crown that was upon his head, and the bracelet that was on his arm, and have brought them hither unto my Lord." Verse 11, then David took hold on his clothes and rent them, and likewise all the men that were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until even for Saul and for Jonathan his son, for the people of the Lord, for the house of Israel, because they were fallen by the sword. And David said unto the young man that told him, Whence art thou? And he answered and said, I am the son of a stranger and a Melechite. And David said unto him, How wast thou not afraid to stretch forth thine hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? And David called one of the young men and said, go near and fall upon him. And he smote him that he died. And David said unto him, thy blood be upon thy head, for thy mouth hath testified against thee, saying, I have slain 
the Lord's anointed. So let's recap what we just read. David returns from the slaughter of the Amalekites. He's told by an Amalekite that Saul is dead. This Amalekite takes credit for that, hoping to ingratiate himself to David. He was expecting a reward and acceptance, but ultimately David kills him. Now, probably you're wondering, what does any of this have to do with the flesh? (laughs) Wait a minute. What's that got to do with the flesh? So we need to take just a moment, do a quick study and understand, and you should have this in your handout, five ways the children of Amalek picture the flesh. Anytime you see Amalek in the Old Testament, it is a picture of the flesh. All right, so let's walk through this real quick. Like Amalek, the end of the flesh for the believer is death. Go over to Numbers chapter 24. Verse 20. And he looked on Amalek and he said up in his parable and said, he took up his parable and said, Amalek was the first of the nations, but his latter end shall be that he perish forever. That's the prophecy of Amalek, that he's going to perish forever. And you compare that with Romans chapter 8, verse 13. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the, flesh, of the body, ye shall live. And then Romans chapter 7 and verse 5. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. The end of the flesh For the believer is death. Same fate as Amalek. Disobedience to God, number two, results in no power to defeat the flesh. So watch this. Go over to Numbers chapter 14. And verse 43. Numbers chapter 14. I love to hear those pages turning. Praise the Lord. People still bring their paper Bibles. Now, I'm a bit of a hypocrite because I don't have a paper Bible. I actually have... So I'm just calling myself out. But I like to hear the pages turning. And I intentionally did not put the verses up there, the references. I want you going to it. I was like, you know what? Let's use our Bibles, right? How about that? All right. So Numbers chapter 14, verse 43. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and ye shall fall by the sword, because ye are turned away from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord will not be with you, verse 44, but they presumed to go up to the, hill top, to the hilltop. Nevertheless, the ark of the covenant of the Lord and Moses departed not out of the camp. And the Amalekites came down and the Canaanites, which dwelt in that hill and smote them and discomfited them even unto Hormah. So they didn't have any power to defeat these Amalekites. And it was because of their disobedience. And the same thing is true in our battles with the flesh. If we are not obedient unto God, you don't have power to overcome your flesh. And then look at number three. This is this is good. Just like the children of Israel were commanded to completely eradicate Amalek and leave no trace of their existence. So we are to completely mortify, put to death our flesh and leave nothing alive. Deuteronomy chapter 25. Verse 19. Therefore, it shall be when the Lord thy God have given thee rest from all thine enemies round about in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance to possess it, that thou shalt blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. God makes that clear. Leave no trace of them. Blot out their remembrance from under heaven. And what is the believer commanded to do with regard to the flesh? 
2 Corinthians 7.1, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Galatians 5.24, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. And then Romans 13.14, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. And we could go on from there, but I just want you to see this. Number four, the only people that ever made headway in destroying the Amalekites were the people that were types of Christ. Those were the only ones that ever made any headway in destroying the Amalekites. You can see David do it. You can see Hezekiah do it. You can see Joshua do it. And then number five, your flesh, just like Amalek, allies itself with other enemies in the battle against God's people. Judges chapter three, verse 13. And he gathered unto him the children of Ammon and Amalek and went and smote Israel and possessed the city of palm trees. And then go over to compare that to Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So that's five ways the children of Amalek picture the flesh. Honestly, that's an exhaustive. That's not even an exhaustive study. What I gave you is just part of it. You could spend any time you see Amalek in the Old Testament. Just take time because there's there's a picture there that you can learn about your flesh. I'm just giving you a few so you can see that. So now we can take that understanding and go back to the passage. Okay, let's go back to Second Samuel. And I want you to understand this. Make no mistake mistake about it. Your flesh is an enemy of yours. Took me a while to understand that, to come to that conclusion, to to accept that truth. But your flesh is an enemy of yours. So back in 2 Samuel chapter 1, it says, Now it came to pass after the death of Saul, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, and David had abode two days in Ziklag. All right, so now you can begin to see the picture starting to form. He just returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites. And I don't know if you can see yourself in this picture. You're starting to make some headway against the war with the flesh. Starting to make some headway. You signed up for discipleship. You got baptized. You're starting to be consistent in Bible study. You're starting to see some traction and you're tempted to think, okay, I got this. You're tempted to think I got this, but key point number one, the incremental victories we make against our flesh should humble us and prompt us to see God knowing the flesh will attack again. So the war that you are engaged in against your flesh is actually lifelong. And so if you're not making war with your flesh, it's because you're dead or you've given in to it. You're dead or you've given into it. Now, what I want you to understand here is that your sanctification is progressive. 
And I didn't understand that when I first accepted the Lord. I kind of thought, you know what, I accepted Christ. Why do I still have problems? But I think we've all learned this. When you accept Christ, your, your problems don't immediately go away, do they? Why is that? See, the Old Testament gives you some insight into that. This is why I spend my time. Okay, so I am often criticized, as some of you know, because I, there are certain books in the Old Testament that I like to study. But you know what? Here's the thing. This is the best way I can put it. Okay, so you know in working out, the rule is don't skip leg day, right? Because you see those people, right? They can, like, be bulky at the top, the little twig legs. Okay. Old Testament, leg day. Old Testament, leg day. Don't skip leg day. You need it. You need it. Okay, so Exodus chapter 23, verse 29. Getting ready to give you some insight. He told them that he was going to drive out, he was going to drive out um, these wicked nations when they went to possess the land. And in verse 28, he says, I'll send hornets before thee, which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, the Hittite from before thee. Verse 29 is the key. I will not drive them out from thee in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field multiply against thee. Verse 30, by little and little, I will drive them out from before thee until thou be increased and inherit the land. He says, if I just take all of these people out right now, those beasts of the field, which are a picture of, you could say, demonic activity, they will come in and they will take you over. So as I begin, I'm going to drive them out gradually so that you can grow in strength and you can occupy the land. That's why after you accept Christ, you don't, all your problems don't go away. Because, and Jesus talked about this in the New Testament, Right. If, if all if all you do is remove something, but you don't replace it with something else, something worse comes along to take its place. So sanctification is progressive. You will always be warring against your flesh. And so I hopefully that's encouraging to you today because God's people can be so easily discouraged. When we struggle. You may score some victories, but it doesn't mean the battle's over. It means you have to remain humble and you have to prepare for the next attack. Prepare for the next attack. Now, notice also back over in 2 Samuel, as we stroll through that passage, 2 Samuel chapter 1, I want you to see what happens. So he's got this great victory against uh, the Amalekites, a slaughter of the Amalekites, and he goes back to Ziklag. Now, Ziklag was a place of inheritance for the children of Israel. We don't have time to look at that, but this was one of the places that God told them they would inherit. He had already given that to them, okay? And so he goes back to this place of inheritance. So, awesome. We are in a place of inheritance. You see that over in Ephesians chapter 1. It talks about it. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glory, of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, 
wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure which, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven, which are on earth, and even in him, in whom, here he is, verse 11, we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. So we are in a place of inheritance. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are in a place of inheritance. If you are part of a local church that's making disciples and seeing souls saved, that's a place of inheritance because that's eternal fruit. But here's key point number two. No one can take your inheritance away, but you can forfeit your inheritance by yielding to the desires of your flesh. You can forfeit your inheritance. Galatians chapter 5, verses 5 through 6. Actually, go over to Hebrews chapter 12. Never mind. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. I want you to see this. This is interesting. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16 Uh, Let's start with verse 15. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For when ye know that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Now, notice what the scripture does here. It compares Esau's decision to sell his birthright for a bowl of chili, and that's what it was. You read, you find out there were lentils, this chili, right? So he sold his birthright for a bowl of chili. He compares that decision to a fornicator. And what that means is that when you engage in fornication, there is a spiritual transaction taking place. He compares it to, he says, verse 16, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. And so the works of the flesh are heinous and we can forfeit our inheritance by engaging in them. And so if that's you this morning and you're entangled in a relationship and struggling with fornication, I actually do have good news for you this morning. There is a way out. Stay tuned. We're going to get to it. The Bible's got the prescription for you. Okay. Back to our passage over in 2 Samuel. I want you to also notice that, okay, so David's in this place of inheritance, Ziklag, and it says that on the third day, this guy shows up. Now, we know from reading the passage that this guy is an Amalekite. So this guy shows up on the third day. See, the third day is supposed to be the day with the resurrection power. That's the day where the picture of Christ is supposed to be the most apparent, the most clear, the third day, and there your flesh is to mess it up. He shows up on the third day. Key point number three, the enemy is always seeking to ruin and destroy the example of the power of Christ in your life. So if you are in a place of blessing, you are in a place of inheritance, understand that there is opposition. 
This guy shows up. And so we have to be vigilant and sober. And that's hard to think about. You know, just in contemplating, especially in Western society, right? Because everything is geared towards comfort and convenience. Just relax, right? Like, that's just a part of our culture. And so this idea that the scriptures present that you are in a spiritual warfare and the enemy never sleeps, you're always engaged in it, no matter what you're doing. When I'm reading my Bible, I'm engaged in spiritual warfare. There is no place I can go on this earth where those thoughts, those wicked thoughts don't follow. Where the enemy is not trying to always find a way in. Listen to what Spurgeon said. Watch constantly against those things which are thought to be no temptations. The most poisonous serpents are found where the sweetest flowers grow. Cleopatra was poisoned by an ass that was brought to her in a basket of fair flowers. Sharp-edged tools, long-handled, wound at last. So make no mistake about it, this guy, he doesn't show up with the sword ready to kill David when this Amalekite shows up, but this is an attack. That's what I want you to see in 2 Samuel. This guy showing up, he doesn't show up as an enemy, he shows up as an ally, but this is an attack. That's what's taking place. And so verse 3, back over in our passage, 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 3, this Amalekite shows up and he's saying everything that David wants to hear. Now, remember, I told you, I gave you some background because it said um, that David's been running for his life from Saul. Saul has been David's mortal enemy. And now this Amalekite shows up with great news. I just killed your enemy. That's good news. And he brings proof of it, right? He brings the crown and the jewels. He's like, and I brought these crowns to you. And so what I want you to see is that this Amalekite's words, they're reasonable. It makes sense. Not only that, David, you deserve this. You've been running from this guy for how long? I just did this for you. You're now safe and you have me to thank. That's how your flesh operates in your life. It presents itself as an ally. A friend with good news. And if you let it, it will negotiate with you. It will reason with you. It will comfort you. You know, something that I was thinking about as as working through this message, I used to struggle with anger a lot. I didn't show it, but I I walked around angry mad. And I'd have all this stuff playing through my head, okay? And it got to the place where when finally the Holy Spirit opened my eyes, and I was able to see that I was actually enjoying my anger. It was so familiar and so comfortable that I liked it. I liked being angry. There was like a certain strength that I felt like I got from it. But it was also incredibly defiling, <laughs> right? It's hard to be around somebody if they're always angry. But it would come to me and it would present, those emotions would present themselves and it was like, you deserve to just be here and be in these emotions. Just dwell in it. Just be here. And the only thing that your flesh asks in return when it negotiates with you 
is safe passage. Let me in. Let me in. So you can see David is in a heightened emotional state. He's vulnerable. He just scored a great victory. He was on the run from Saul. He's got a lot on his mind and he's vulnerable. And this is key point number four. Times of great victory and times of emotional distress are similar in that it makes us vulnerable to attack. You ever think about that? Whether it be great victory, you, you get a win, or great distress, it's still all, both of it, it equally makes you vulnerable to attack. You think about people that drink. When do they drink? When they're really happy and when they're really sad. Either way, let's drink. High and low. And this is a large part of why God was upset with the Amalekites. I want you to see this. Go over to Deuteronomy chapter 25. This is interesting. Remember I told you, every time they show up, it's a picture of the flesh. Now look at what they do in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 17. Remember what Amalek did unto thee by the way when ye were come forth out of Egypt, how he met thee by the way and smote the hindmost of thee, even all that were feeble behind thee when thou wast what? Faint and weary. And he feared not God. Amalek attacked them when they were weak and weary. When you're weak and weary, those are times where you are vulnerable to great attack from your flesh. It's the end of the day. You're tired. You're vulnerable to attack. That's what Amalek did. And now perhaps that gives you more insight into why God was so upset with Saul. And we don't have time to look at it, but over in 1 Samuel chapter 15, God tells God tells uh, Saul, hey, I remember what the Amalekites did. I want you to go destroy them and don't leave a trace. And then you read the story and they destroy some of them, but they keep the best of the, the possessions and they leave some of the people alive. And what does that picture? That picture is a leader that makes a decision not to mortify all of the flesh. That picture is a leader that says, you know what, I'm going to hold on to this and this. I'll get rid of this other stuff, but I'll hold on to this. It's horrific. So this Amalekite, back to our story in 2 Samuel, he comes to David with what should be good news. And what I like about this situation is that it's murky. It's not a situation where a blatant crime was committed because when this Amalekite comes, he's like, hey, Saul was getting ready to die. I could tell he wasn't going to live. And I went ahead and killed him. He wasn't going to live. And it kind of all makes sense, doesn't it? It kind of makes sense. Certainly David wouldn't fault this guy for killing his mortal enemy. But I want you to see how David navigates this murky situation. What did he do? Over in 2 Samuel, it says, chapter 1, verse 13, And he said unto the young man, Whence art thou? He said, I'm a, an Amalekite. Verse 14, he said unto him, how wast thou not afraid to stretch forth thine hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? See, the only thing that David had to guide him in this situation was this thread of God's truth. This man just told me that he killed the Lord's anointed. No matter how reasonable it seems, no matter how much it makes sense, this man just told me he killed the Lord's anointed. And that's actually great decision-making advice. Because as believers, you're going to find yourself in situations that seem really gray. 
that seem really murky where you've got to make a decision. And the only thing that you're going to have to orient you is one thread of God's truth to help you to find the right decision. Because if he would have accepted this man's story, he would have let that Amalekite into his kingdom and given him a reward. You see that? And that would have been a start of a whole nother struggle that would have unfolded later on. And so the only thing David has to guide him is this truth. This man just told me he killed the Lord's anointed. Doesn't matter that this man was my enemy. When God wants his anointed dead, God can take him out. So remember that as you make decisions. Make the decision that does not require you to violate God's truth. Make the decision that doesn't require you to violate God's truth. Some of you know this. This was many years ago. I was working uh, at a job, and I got laid off, and they gave me six months of severance, okay? And I remember working through all of that, and I'm, I'm around. I'm at month number five, okay, checking the bank account. All the unemployment's gone, I'm at month number six, and I'm like, okay, I can see the cliff, right? I can see the cliff, and then I get this job offer. I went to the interview. I killed it. The job was mine. It was a director of operations position for a payday loan company. And I'm like, well, you know, you go to the website, and you can see all the people that really enjoy the service, right? Because they got the commercials up there, right? You go to the website, and they're like, man, this company saved my life. I really needed money, and I went, and da-da-da-da-da. But it's like, you know payday loan companies are a cancer, right? And the only truth that I had to orient me was what God's word had to say about poor people and what he does to people that mistreat them. And, and I said, okay, it, but it made sense. Do you see my point? It made sense because I was running out of money, and I had a job opportunity. It made sense. It, it, the timing was perfect. I'm like, this has to be what God is saying. There's this truth right here, but we can, you know, I can navigate around that. No, I can't. So I made the decision to allow God's truth to orient me. I turned the job down. Like, all right, God, if I'm going to go broke, I'm going to go broke with you. But I can't do it. You know, and God provided. I mean, like a few weeks later, got another job offer. It was much better. Paid a lot more. So here it is. Point number five. Acknowledging the truth of God is key to properly discerning and overcoming the flesh. You've got to acknowledge God's truth. Second Timothy chapter two. Verses 24 through 26 says, and the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. That they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. That's second Timothy, chapter two, verse 24 through 26. So what this verse is saying is that believers fall into bondage because they first oppose themselves by rejecting God's truth. And because they reject God's truth, God allows them to believe Satan's lies. And in believing Satan's lies, they can be taken captive by Satan at any time. So what you do with God's truth matters. What you do with God's truth matters. 
So if somebody is in bondage to their flesh, there's some point of deception that they're holding on to. Whether that be fornication, pornography, bitterness, envy, covetousness, idolatry, you name it, you've been deceived. And the only way out is to acknowledge the truth. But here's what that means. Acknowledging the truth, it's not always easy because it means that it's going to require you to make some changes. Life's going to be different if you acknowledge the truth. And it may actually be harder for you if you acknowledge the truth. And even in that, here's the tough reality, and this is key point number six. Sometimes honoring God's truth requires you to move forward even when you don't have all the details figured out. Even when you don't have all the details figured out, honoring God's truth means moving forward. Let me give you an example of this. This is an amazing story. First Samuel chapter 23, verse 9 through 13. So David is taking refuge in this city. He's on the run from Saul. So he's in the city of Keilah, and he finds out that Saul, find, he knows that Saul finds out his location. So he knows Saul is coming to the city. So David's seeking the Lord, okay? So watch this. This is amazing. 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 9, And David knew that Saul secretly practiced mischief against him, and he said unto Abathar the priest, Bring hither the ephod. Then said David, O Lord God of Israel, thy servant hath certainly heard that Saul seeketh to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me up into his hands? Will Saul come down as thy servant hath heard, O Lord God of Israel? I beseech thee, tell thy servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. Then said David, will the men of Keilah deliver me up and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will deliver thee up. Then David and his men, which were about 600, arose and departed out of Keilah and went whithersoever they could go. And it was told Saul that David was escaped from Keilah. And that's some of you this morning. The message of this passage says if you stay in this situation, it means certain death. And all David could do was get up and go wherever he could go. That's all God told him. If you stay there, you're going to die. So you just need to get up and go wherever you can go. And that's what David did. He didn't know where to go. It said that he just went wherever he could go. He knew he couldn't stay there. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that, but I have. Where it was clear, if I stay here, this means death. I've got to go. I don't have all the details figured out. I just know I can't be here. And that was the truth that God gave him. If you stay, you die. If you stay, you die. And by the way, I told you I would address this fornication. That's my advice for you this morning. Leave. The biblical command is to flee it. Flee the relationship. Go. You don't have to have all the details worked out. Go. Flee it. Well, but what about blah? Okay, see, no, you don't, you don't have to have the details worked out. Go. You just have to get out of the situation. For some of you, that might be a relationship. It could be a situation. It could be a piece of technology. You just need to go. You need to part with it. You don't have to have the details worked out. That's what David did. Now, the last thing that I want you to notice about this situation is how David deals the fatal blow. Okay, so this Amalekite comes to him. He's speaking fair words. He's saying the things that that David wants to hear. But David recognizes this man is an enemy. 
He's violated God's truth. David makes the decision to kill him. But this is how he does it. Back over in 2 Samuel. Chapter 1, verse 15. And David called one of the young men and said, go near and fall upon him. And he smote him that he died. See, even after acknowledging the truth, notice how David deals the fatal blow. He does it through another soldier. I don't know if you're seeing the picture. Here it is. Key point number seven. You will obtain victory over your flesh as you learn to invite the help of trusted believers to pray with you in your struggles and strengthen you in times of weakness. Invite the help of trusted believers. And I want you to see this Old Testament picture because we understand what the Amalekites, what they picture in the Old Testament. Go over to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17 and verse 8. Now watch this. It says, then came Amalek and fought with Israel. Right. So we know the picture, picture of the flesh. Here it comes again. Here comes your flesh fighting with Israel. Verse nine. And Moses said unto Joshua, choose us out men and go fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said unto him and fought with Amalek and Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. What happens when you're fighting with your flesh? You get weary. Verse 12. But Moses hands were heavy. And they took a stone and put it under him and he sat there on and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands. The one on one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. So Moses learns to pray in seeking victory. But even in this battle, he gets weak. So the battle with your flesh, it weakens you. You were never meant to fight it alone. Moses' brothers have to come alongside him and lift up his hands in order to get the job done. And you can see the picture. They're praying. He's lifting up his hands. And who's doing the fighting? Joshua. Joshua means Jesus. It's a Hebrew name for Jesus. Jesus is doing the fighting. Amazing picture there. You need your brothers to come alongside you. So don't listen to the voices that say that you can't be real and transparent about what you're struggling with. You need to find trustworthy people. I remember when I first started going to uh, KCBT. And for those of you that don't know KCBT, that's the church that started this church. So uh, I started going to KCBT. This was back when I was in high school. And I remember I met this guy and he seemed like, you know, he was always just full of the joy of the Lord. And I remember just getting to know him. And I went to his um, to his his dorm room, because he, he was in college. Um, and I remember him talking to me and just being real. And he was like, Eric, I used to struggle with pornography. I used to struggle with masturbation. I used to struggle with these things. And inside, I had all these bells going off. Because I'm like, those are not the things you talk about. I cannot believe he just told me that. Right? Because it was the first time that I had ever experienced someone being real. It was the first time that I had ever experienced it. But I went home and I made a decision. I want to be a part of that. I want brothers that I can be real with. 
because I want to walk in victory. And so you need your brothers and your sisters in Christ. That doesn't mean you have to tell everybody your business. You find a handful of trusted brothers, right, or trusted sisters that you can be real with, that can pray with you. Now, let me just give you some words of advice in terms of pursuing accountability. Don't just make it a focus on the flesh, right? So this isn't a thing where you just get together and just talk about how you failed last week and the week before, right? Let's, let's, let's instead encourage each other in the word, right? So let's get in the word. You can, you can ask for prayer, but let's work in the word. Let's get busy preaching the gospel. Let's get busy running after the things of God while we trust God to, to fight this battle within our life. But you can't win the battle with the flesh fighting alone. Go over to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Get some wisdom from Ecclesiastes. God told you, verse 9, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. And so this is key point number eight. God wants to and is able to make you victorious in the war against your flesh and will do so as you humble yourself before him and yield to his will. You continue to study David's life, and you find out that he, God did deliver him. You see that over in 2 Samuel. Go over to 2 Samuel 22. David sings the song of deliverance. 2 Samuel 22, verse 1. And David spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord had delivered him out of the hands of all his enemies, out of the hand of all his enemies, and out of the hand of Saul. And he said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. The God of my rock, in him will I trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower, my refuge, my savior. Thou savest me from violence. You know, in fighting the war with your flesh, it can weary you and it can even cause you to despair. Because you get to a place to where you think it's not possible. But God is able to deliver you and God's people need to be vigilant. And so every head bowed and every eye closed. I want you to kind of just think and examine your heart this morning. I'm talking to two groups of people this morning. The first group is you're here and you don't even know if you know Christ. And you are certainly living to fulfill the desires of your flesh. Anything your flesh wants, you gratify it. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. John chapter 3, this is what Jesus has to say. Verse 18, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. And here's the issue, verse 19, and this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil, for everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought in God. 
But the good news, verse 16, is that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so is there anybody this morning that would say, yeah, I don't know if I know Christ and pray for me. I've been living for my flesh. I want to pray for you. Is there anybody that would say that? If it is, raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Anybody say, I don't know Christ. I don't know if I know Christ. Please pray for me. Raise your hand. I want to pray for you. All right, and I'm talking to another group of people. You know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You are a Christian, but you've been negotiating with your flesh and giving refuge to something that you should either be mortifying or fleeing. And if that's you, I want to pray for you. Would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you. Say, pray for me. I see your hands. I see your hands. I see your hands. I see your hands. I want to pray for you. This is what James said. James 5, 16. Confess your faults one to another and pray for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You know, we're going to spend some time in worship. After I pray, we're going to spend some time in worship. And I want to encourage you to go grab another brother or sister because the effectual prayer of a righteous man avails much. Let somebody pray with you. Let somebody in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you saw the hands that were raised. And in a room this big, Lord, I know that not everybody knows you. And perhaps it can be scary to, to, to raise the hand and, and ask for prayer, Lord. But I do want to pray for those that are here that don't know you, Father, that they would not leave except they come to know you in the pardon of their sins, Lord. We thank you for being merciful and forgiving and you're always working to, to, to restore, Lord, uh, what was lost in the fall. And so I pray for those that don't know you, Father, that they would talk to the person that they came with, that they would get that right. And then, Lord, I do pray for the believers um, that are weary this morning, perhaps because of warring with their flesh, Lord. Uh, it can wear on us. And I pray for those that raise their hand, Father, that they would um, move forward. And whatever your spirit's calling them to do, that they would uh, invite, find trusted brothers and sisters to lift them up when they're weary, Lord. And we thank you, Father, because you, you allow these struggles not to, to, to hurt us, Lord, but to strengthen us, to, to cause us to, to press forward and to, to cling to you. And so we thank you for your goodness. Have your way this morning. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing. And if you need to come forward, you come forward. Let somebody pray with you. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.liv.